Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. In 1996, two days before Christmas, French TV producer Sophie Toscan Duplantier was brutally murdered at her holiday cottage in Skull, West Cork, Ireland. In this compelling and richly detailed docuseries, Murder at the Cottage, The Search for Justice for Sophie, Academy Award-nominated filmmaker Jim Sheridan takes viewers on a journey of the unsolved case that has haunted West Cork, Ireland for almost 26 years. Piecing together original evidence, never-before-seen footage, and interviews with those closest to the case, Sheridan tries to make sense out of what happened that fateful night. Murder at the Cottage, the search for justice for Sophie, is currently available on the streaming service Topic. We're honored to have with us today Academy Award-nominated filmmaker known for such films as My Left Foot and In the Name of the Father, Jim Sheridan. Jim Sheridan, welcome to Film School Radio. How are you? Let's start at the beginning of this story, and that is, how did you hear about the death of Sophie Toscan Duplantier? Well, it was the murder of a woman who was, you know, on the red carpet in Cannes, and she was a very elegant, almost princess-type woman, and her husband was probably the main mover in French cinema for 20 years. And he he ran the French Oscars to Cesars and the the police. It was like one of these weird murders as if she dropped from heaven, like as an alien dead on the ground with no footprints away from the scene, no car tire marks, no weapon, a bloody rock. And it was both primitive and appalling and compelling. It kind of, cast a spell over Cork. Pretty soon, Ian Bailey, an Englishman, was arrested for the murder. And the husband of Sophie, Daniel Toscan de Plantier, he had a headline. He said, there's a devil in the hills, which positioned the murder in West Cork. And you had this extraordinary situation where the police were only focusing on this remote, isolated area, and they made the decision that the killer had to come from within five kilometers of the murder scene for reasons best known to themselves. They ruled out what's normal in a case like this, that the husband is the first port of call. They never interviewed him. They were never allowed to interview him. He never came to identify the body or help the family, her mother and father which I found extraordinary. He was very well connected in France. Francois Mitterrand had just died. Who was He had produced his son, his nephew's movies, and he was close to Jack Chirac, as indeed was Sophie. So you're talking about the highest level of French society, and they immediately decided in France that the only place to look was in West Cork in Ireland. And... It then led to Bailey, and he didn't do himself any favors by being a poster boy for the chief suspect. Had you ever met her? I had never met her. I'd seen pictures of her on the red carpet. The, we- the weird thing was, 
she had a diary and my name was in the diary to contact me. So that was pretty odd. I wasn't the only person in the diary. Ian Bailey was not in the diary. But I'm sure I would have met her in the course of events if she'd stayed on in Ireland. She obviously wanted to meet me and people involved in the film world in Ireland. So a few years later, I came from Cannes to the start of a thing called the Fastnet Film Festival in Skull. And they, they told me, oh, it's easy, you know. And I said to them, why are you putting a film festival on the very week that Cannes is on? And they were like, oh, what's Cannes? And I was like, well, it's the biggest film festival in Europe, probably in the world, and you're in competition with it. And they were like, oh, well, come anyway, Jim. So I traveled on a Saturday, and it took me about the same length as it takes me to where I am currently in Los Angeles. So I was like, well, this is some trip. And I was kind of mystified as to why three days before Christmas, a woman would come with all her dresses and bags and laden down as if she was going to stay forever. And then, you know, people saying she was going back on Christmas Eve or Stevens's day. So it was just a mystery. You know, it's like, I decided to approach it as if I was making a movie, applying the same questions that I would apply to making a narrative fiction, which is, I always ask myself, what does the main character want? And that's the same as saying, what's the motive for the crime? What's the agenda? And I couldn't find any agenda. So it was very frustrating in that regard. And so I start to investigate it. And because basically journalism has lost the in-depth reporting that Woodward and Bernstein did for all the president's men, you know, that kind of investigation of a crime, you know, it's kind of sometimes left up to documentaries. But in Ireland, like a documentary wouldn't receive much more funding than 100000 or $150,000. And you need a lot more than that to do a thorough investigation. So was there a, a moment that you made the decision to begin this process of making the documentary? And was it always in your mind that you would be our guide or the narrator with the, the approach you took in taking the film? Was that always something that you had envisioned? Not really. You know, I started initially with a man called Donald McIntyre, who was an investigative journalist himself, who may have done the, he's also done, he's quite charismatic and he's been on the television a lot doing cold, you know, investigations into murder. But for some reason at the beginning, when I was doing an interview with the son of Sophie, Pierre-Louis, I did the um, questions and on camera and it just grew from that. But I thought that if I really wanted to commit myself to the story, that I had to put myself on the line. And that's really why I appeared in front of the camera, because it was very hard, given the circumstances of the events, to empathize with the chief suspect, Ian Bailey. And it was difficult because of the way the press treated Marie Farrell, the chief witness, to identify with her. And Sophie, while it was easy to identify with the pictures of her, it was very hard to bring her 
alive. So I just needed some guide, some way in for the audience. And I thought the only way to do it was to do it myself, you know. I do think that true crime has two origins as far as I'm concerned. One origin is Truman Capote, which is a wonderful, cruel book. Um, blood, right? Yeah. It, it, the title is perfect. He, he he was such a genius, Truman, that he got the code, you know, exactly described his own book. It's written in a kind of heightened coldness, you know. It's it's an amazing novel, but whatever you want to call it, fiction, nonfiction. But I think it belongs to that genre where somehow the investigative person sees themselves in the perpetrator. It had the tragic consequence that the murderers were executed. And and I think in a funny way, it stopped Truman from writing again. But it is the apex of a certain approach to true crime. But the other side of true crime, which I feel has not been given its true worth, is originated in England with a, a great, great essayist who was also an opium addict, Thomas de Quincey. And De Quincey and Coleridge were probably the most astute cultural observers of their time. And the approach that De Quincey took was heightened surrealism, sarcasm, irony. And he basically wrote an astounding essay called The Art of Murder, where he basically tried to say who was the greatest murder artist. And it was a bit tongue in cheek. You couldn't quite do that with a story as close to oneself as Sophie. I mean, the beauty of the of this series is you, watching you operate in this environment uh, that you're that you're describing the uh, not only the very personal tragedy that occurred with Sophie and her family and her son and dealing with that, but you found a way into this world with Ian and how that plays out gives us not only some sense of there's almost a sense of certainty at times during the film during the five five episodes mm. but never never sort of a never there's never a complete sense that this is what happened and i i just found your approach and your ability to be very humanizing with ian mm -hmm. so compelling what's the word i'm looking for yeah just so compelling and then we introduced the politics of it, the, as you described, the, the corridors of power that Sophie was related to and how all of that plays out and the the need for blame, the, the absolute sort of runaway train of having to find someone who was held account to account for this. There's a lot of things going on in this that are just so yeah. on every level compelling. In the first murder that we know of in the Bible, where... Cain killed Abel, and it became famous. Everybody would discuss the mark of Cain, and everybody thought that the mark of Cain meant he was marked out as a murderer. And it is not why he was marked. He was marked so that he wouldn't be harmed. Although he was a murderer, the mark meant people had to stay away from him and not damage him, not harm him. And I think the reason for that was probably primitive, that it cycles of revenge fed upon themselves. To put the mark of Cain on anybody like they did on Bailey, 
you just have to be very careful. I couldn't understand a lot of what was going on in this story. And, you know, Mike, to, to just not to make an issue of it, but when I was making this story, I had many lawyers and solicitors, and they're called in Ireland, and senior counsel, and they're all telling me I can say this and I can't say that. And what was safe to say all the time was Bailey was the murderer because he'd been convicted and because the police said he did it and he was arrested. And what was difficult to say was anything other than that. So it became, you know, having to walk a very thin ledge. To just give you a for instance, when Netflix made their competing documentary, they didn't have to abide by any broadcast regulations in the UK. It's as if I could make a documentary on any American subject, let's say Trump or any other issue, and I don't have to abide by any of your laws, any of your broadcast and regulations. And if I was Chinese, I could stream it into you and you'd have to accept it. Does that seem fair? Well, that's what's happening when Netflix broadcast within Europe. They don't have to abide by the broadcast regulations. So they don't have to have all the solicitors and they can say what they like. And, you know, I just find that fighting with, with one hand behind your back, you know. I would be open to any discussion about the merits of this case with anybody. I am still working on it. And just for the purposes of clarity, I did give the Irish police a sworn affidavit naming another suspect which forced the assistant commissioner of police to declare that he was opening a cold case review. Is that right? Yeah. And, oh, my and, goodness. And so now the case has been reopened in Ireland, and it's essentially, according to the commissioner's assistant commissioner, who seems a very decent man, based on the fact that the, the main fact, he said, was we gave them a new suspect. So. There has been a very big development in the case. And this would relate to another case that you may know of, which was the Madeleine McCann. Do you remember that story of the little girl who disappeared? That sounds familiar. Well, you know, you know, Mike, you, when you make a movie that's a fictional movie and the audience, the, the terms of commerciality, 80 to 90 percent of commerciality is that the audience can identify with the people on screen as being them, as being, they understand them, they're from their neighborhood, they're from their country. So when a true crime story happens in another country, it's harder for American citizens to understand it. But this was a little five-year-old girl who disappeared. It was the biggest story in Europe for the last 20 years. The parents were these put-upon couple who, people would insinuate were involved in the disappearance of their daughter. And then it turned out a suspect was found and they had to reorientate everything. And I think it's kind of a little bit similar in our case. But this opens the, the case, the story opens up many issues beyond the story, like globalization. Well, you can have globalization and I'm all for it. And I'm all for getting the wonderful stuff that Netflix and Amazon and Hulu do. But there has to come consequences with it. It has to be on an equal playing field. So 
if I was to make another story, I'd like the title to be It's Murder, Not Entertainment. Well, before I let you go, for someone let our listeners know they were speaking with Jim Sheridan and the documentary series is called Murder at the Cottage, the Search for Justice for Sophie. And it is currently running on Topic. And you can go to topic.com to find out more about this as well as other series that are running on, on that uh, service, streaming service. Would you be amenable to essentially an, a coda to this particular series, as it sounds like? Or would this be, if you were to embark on the, another this new chapter in the, in the story behind Sophie's death? Yeah, I can't let it go. Uh, I'm going to do another, I'm going to do a feature documentary, uh, which is more about fake news and more about the manipulation by the media of stories and that type of thing. I'm not saying particularly totally related to the Sophie story, but I just find it it's fascinating to me. Maybe the older you get, the less interest you have in fiction and the more interest you have in fact. I find it hard to digest fiction all the time. Fiction seems like white bread a bit to me. And story, true stories, documentaries seem a little bit more nutty, you know, a bit more like a loaf that has organic ingredients or something, you know. But I've got to like the old documentary, but I'm making a fiction film now about growing up in Ireland. And then at the same time, I'm working all the time and basically putting my own resources into pursuing justice for Sophie and the truth. Well, I want to thank you. First of all, thank you so much for this film, Murder at the Cottage, The Search for Justice for Sophie, as well as others. I did see in some of your upcoming development work that it looks like you're working on a documentary about Peter O'Toole. Yeah, I, I love Peter was somebody I knew very well. And one of my I favorite actors. Worked, yeah, I worked with him and his daughter, Kate, and oh. I just wanted to make a little documentary, you know, about him. He was That's a wonderful true. actor. What a wonderful actor. What an interesting personality he was. And, yeah. uh, well, I hope you find the justice that Sophie Tuscan Duplantier deserves. And um, and uh, I, I thank you so very much. It's been an honor to, to have you on the program. Jim Sheridan. Mike, I hope I gave you something that was worthwhile. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Thank you.